Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio! Minor Wisdom! Hey ladies and gentlemen, this week on Minor Wisdom I've got Rena Cook. Rena is a legend in the state of Texas and lives in Oklahoma. She's one of the few things in the state of Texas that we uh, celebrate even though they're from Oklahoma. So uh, I was so excited to have Rena Cook on. I wanted to have her on back when, uh, you know, during, I guess, the first stint of Minor Wisdom, the first 150 episodes, just never had her on. And now I've got her. And this was recorded again uh, back a while ago uh, in June. So this is an, uh, now in the world of technology, a well-aged podcast interview uh, so, but it was a lot of fun. And if you've ever been to one of Rena's workshops, you know exactly the type of personality she has. She's just one of the kindest people in the world and just wants everyone to be better. It's very kind of a simple philosophy, I think. Uh, she does have a podcast that I'd love to plug. Let's get vocal with Rena. So, if you know Rena and you didn't know she had this podcast, then check it out. Um, again workshops galore and teaching galore and lessons galore and just so much knowledge inside of her brain she's one of those people that has forgotten more than most people have been taught or learned so uh just a delight to have rena on and uh she gives me a little bit of pd at the end because i was wondering you know uh uh you'll find out what it is but hopefully you've kind of noticed this go around with the podcast that maybe my voice has a little bit more inflection on my words and that has a lot to do with what Rena did at the end of the interview. Hey guys, make sure you are signing up for TXETA. Uh, make sure you guys are getting in to register now. I believe September 9th or 10th, something like that, the early bird, which I think is crazy that early bird ends two weeks out of the red of the actual event, less than two weeks out, but Hey, we're trying to throw you a bone here. So it's not, it's not like it's a, a dumb idea, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call it early bird because it's not that early. You're waiting until a couple days before the event uh, to register last minute. Some of you I know are registering late because you just weren't able to get approval from admin during the summer. And that makes sense. So Hopefully people are registering. The The exhibitor area is filling up. I don't think it will be 100% full, but compared to where we were last year in hopes to get exhibitors, we are leaps and bounds beyond that. So really cool ideas. I know Aaron Martin will be there uh, and chatting with him about his ideas for how he's going to set up his booth. It's kind of fun, kind of cool. So I'm excited to see it. Uh, got a lot of a lot of uh, people, a lot of groups, businesses, not people, groups, businesses, however you define a business, uh, people, you know, um, that's a political thing. But uh, lots of lots of organizations and businesses that have uh, secured more than one booth, uh, multiple booths. So uh, I'm curious to see how they set those things up because that's always fun. And no offense to Ludlam, but not in the Ludlam way where you're just throwing out two tables and throwing some swag on, on the tables. It's, it's stuff that, uh, technology and things like that, that you're going to want to be prepared to have a discussion with your admin about, uh, bringing 
in these people, Covenant, um, Stage Spot, uh, you know, uh, 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 Techland obviously is going to be there. Um, but uh, even ETC, there, there are quite a few that are going to be there with multiple booths. It's so, so it's really cool uh, to see that. We've also got some colleges, not a lot so far. Uh, and uh, speaking of college, there's some things on the horizon with my own personal life that I hope come to fruition today, maybe as we record or even early next week. Uh, because, uh, I've just, I've, I'm not a religious person, but man, have I been blessed recently and I don't know who's blessing me. Maybe it is God. You know what? One day I'm going to find out. Uh, we all will. That's the guarantee in life. So not to get morbid, but again, um, just make sure you're signing up for TXCTA and also Thespians opens up very soon. Uh, in just a couple of weeks, registration opens up for that. We've got, uh, the educator collaborative, not the educator conference, but the educator collaborative TTEC. We have a chat tomorrow to get the ball rolling on things for that. And that is January 12th through 14th in Rockwall, Texas. Uh, speaking of Rockwall, I saw this a couple days ago. Rockwall is one of the, uh, most expensive places to live or, or maybe the, 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 uh, you know, I'm a headline reader. Maybe the, the housing market is becoming the priciest or the richest people live in. I don't know, man, but Rockwall has money. So it's exciting <laughs> to be in Rockwall for TTEC. Maybe I should have done my research. I'll, hey, research team, get on that, man. Anyway, uh, super excited about everything. School started for me Thursday, I tweeted about it or Facebooked or did something. I put it on the socials, but I didn't start with students. You know, I, I only have students every other day, hashtag blessed, and uh, it's really awesome. But the first day of school was Thursday, and then I saw my students on Friday, uh, all 12 of them, because, yeah, you know, that's just the life I live. So it's amazing, but uh, I do love my job. Anyway, enough about me. Let's get to Rena Cook. Why not? You know, make sure you like me on Twitter or follow me on Twitter or do something on Twitter. Hit, slide into my DMs. Friend me on Facebook. Shirts are still available. Uh, uh, you know, get get all the stuff, okay? Please enjoy Rena Cook. If you don't enjoy this interview, something is very wrong with you. Very wrong. Have fun. I don't remember a time when I wasn't... In, engaged and excited about the theater. Um, even when I was very young, uh, I remember I loved to sing and I loved to mimic and I loved to dance. And um, my parents weren't artistic. They didn't go to the theater. They weren't into music. Um, and so I don't really know how I got introduced to it, except that we watched Lawrence Welk every, what was it, Saturday night uh, on on television. And I loved the the Len, Lennon sisters, you know, and uh, and so I, I got this image that, that you could sing in front of people and they would applaud. Um, so I, I wanted to take dance lessons. So I made pot holders, you know, the kind on the loom that you weave, and I sold them door to door, two for a quarter, to make money to buy my first pair of black patent tap shoes. And uh, and so I I took every kind of lesson that you could. I, I sang, I danced, I twirled baton, uh, I did. Uh, 
I and I auditioned for plays. And I harbored, you know, this this passion or this dream all the way through school. And when I went off to college, you know, to study acting, my parents encouraged me to get a theater education degree. And so I did. Um, and when I did the student teaching part, it's like, oh, my God, I love this teaching thing. You know, um, my purpose is to teach. I recognized almost immediately that God had put me on this earth to teach. And my passion was theater. So I coupled those and became a high school theater educator for 16 years. And I loved it. I went back to school to get a master's degree because I wanted to be a better director. And uh, from that master's degree, then I, I started teaching in college. And so I spent uh, a couple of decades then training actors at the university level. And from there became addicted or obsessed with voice. And I recognized that if the voice is not working, nothing else works. So I decided to quit my job and go to the Central School of Speech and Drama in London, where they have a really, well, one of the world's best courses to train voice trainers. So I did that and came back just a teacher reborn on fire about voice. And uh, I continued to serve high school actors and their teachers because that's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you make the most significant contribution to the world is, is, is educating young adults, young people, young adults, uh, how to work with others toward a common goal, how to have confidence, how to express yourself freely, how to have empathy for other people. It's huge what we teach. And, uh, and so even when I was working in college, and now that I have a corporate consulting business, I still give a great deal of time to high school educators and their students. So that's kind of my story. Yeah, no, good. And and I guess I was introduced to you because of Darla Jones, yeah. uh, who thinks the world of you, um, and, and grateful for that. So I, I want to go back to your, well, first of all, did you get your tap shoes? <laughs> did you? I did get okay. my tap shoes <laughs> and, and I still have, I still have those original taps, you know, after I yeah. outgrew yeah. the shoes, I took the taps off. Um, yeah. Tap dancing. Um, dancing is an important part of what I still do. Yeah. Although yeah. I don't teach it. I don't choreograph. I don't, dance in public anymore um it's still movement and music is a very heavy part of my teaching and and how i express myself in my own downtime yeah i was gonna say because uh i didn't i didn't engage in your workshop when last summer when uh we had you here for texas thespians but i watched it because i was recording it and stuff but <clears throat> excuse me but yeah it was very fluid um when you had people up and moving. Uh, and so, yeah, you can see now that you kind of uh, uh, focus on that a little bit uh, on, on that part of your life, I can see why or how dance is incorporated kind of into once you get everybody, obviously when they're sitting at a desk, it's not 
It's kind of not a very good choreographed dance, but <laughs> once you get them. But when you're teaching acting, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you right. need to get them on their feet and get them moving right. because we are not head actors right. or face actors. That's a bore. When the whole body is engaged and we can do that through music, through movement, through improvisation, through dance, um, masked as other things right. um, to get to get our bodies alive with the story that we're communicating. And so now you're doing summer uh, sessions at the University of Houston for the for the educator master, right? For the uh, right, theater educator right. master. They have a, a three summer master's degree yeah. at the University of Houston, and um, it's a, it's a very intense. A program for theater educators. And we have elementary, junior high, and high school, and some um, post high school, you know, junior college right. theater educators who just want to be broadly better. Yeah. They want more information about how to teach this thing that they love. Right. And the teachers that come to us are just on fire you know, on fire uh, with passion for their students, on fire with passion for the art and wanting to be the best that they can be. And of course, Texas being such a highly competitive theater state, um, you, you know, Texas is unique in that yeah. way. Um, Texas teachers want to be the best they can for their students and to serve their school in the competitions. Uh, where are you from originally? Um, originally, I'm from Tucson, Arizona. Okay. I was raised. I was raised there, and um, in my early 30s, found my way to the Midwest, and have been in the Oklahoma area um, ever since the late 70s. Right. I taught at the University of Kansas, at OSU, at OU, and then subsequently, this is my 10th year here in Houston, and I teach directing yeah. here on this course. Um, I'm primarily a voice person now, but I have a degree in directing and I've done a lot of directing. And so I, I've been teaching directing here and I love it. I love to change hats. You know, you're in your voice trainer hat and you look at the work in one way. And when you are a director, you look at the work in a different way. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just great to exercise both sides of my brain and to remember why I loved directing. And then I sneak in the voice work for the directors um, because when you are a theater educator director, you're always teaching about voice, yeah. about body, about the internal work that the actor must do. And uh, so directing is a really, really important part of our education. What was it like when you heard your first tornado siren? Oh gosh, <laughs> actually it was pretty scary. Yeah. Um, you know, when you haven't experienced it before and, uh, you know, I went into the bathtub and covered up with, with mattress, a twin bed mattress. And, uh, but I've never actually been in a tornado. Okay. I've lived here now since the late seventies. And although I've seen the damage, you know, yeah. I've gone to places, toured places that have been hit by tornadoes, and it is awfully um, startling. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. horrific. But uh, yeah, my my first experience with the tornado siren was downtown Cincinnati, and we're just cruising along. It's just a bunch of Texans cruising along in a in a car downtown, looking for something to do, and we hear this 
obnoxious noise. Like, what in the world is that? Because it wasn't really raining. It was kind of, you know, ugly outside, but it wasn't raining. And so, and then we realized, oh, shoot, we should probably go somewhere, get inside. But yeah, uh, those things are intimidating, if you will. But Yes, uh, and, yeah. and unpredictable. Yes. You know, that's the thing. And particularly if you're out driving, it's like, where is it? Yeah. Oh, my God. Am I <laughs> right. driving into it? Am I driving away from it? Is it going to pick up my car? Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty scary. Yeah. So off of that, uh, I, a few things focused on voice. Um, when you, cause you said you kind of started falling in love with voice kind of late in the game after you'd already gone through an education system. So mm -hmm. what, what type of personal adjustment did you make, uh, for your kind of your instrument, if you will, for your voice, once you found this new passion of, uh, of learning, the vocal side of, of theater and acting and just kind of immersed yourself in that. What did you have to re, kind of relearn how to speak on stage and even in presentation? Um, it wasn't a relearning. It was a deepening of understanding. Um, you know, because I started as a singer, I had and had studied privately voice. I had an understanding of the vocal mechanism, a, a basic understanding. And um, and the, the things that I learned just deepened what I already knew. It wasn't a, a sea change. It was an augmentation. And the major thing that I noticed in my daily life is my attention to breath, because voice is so strongly steeped in breath usage, how you train the breath, and then the carryover of breath work into our everyday lives, into being a key to our mental health. And, uh, and so that's been the biggest change in my own life, is managing my emotional life more efficiently by using breath intentionally and deliberately all the time. Yeah. Um, the other thing is an awareness of good vocal usage. When I was a young actress, I was pretty cavalier with my voice and, and often had issues, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm hoarse today, or I've got to go on vocal rest because I've lost my voice. I was pretty cavalier in the way I treated my vocal instrument. But after I, I had the education and the knowledge, I became much more intentional in how I care for it. So, for example, right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm seated, but I'm really aware that I'm lengthening through the back of the neck so that I don't sit down on the voice like this, which is yeah. the way, you know, we talk on the phone. You know, we let the voice settle down and this is our casual speech, but this is going to wear me out. Whereas if I sit up straight and lengthen the back of my neck and make a little more space in my mouth, it's a better quality sound. I can do more with that sound and it's not going to fatigue me. Right. So, so I've learned some subtle usage, personal usage things that I make adjustments for um, all the time, yeah. you know, yeah. for myself and then for my students, that knowledge of how to take care of my own voice I can carry over. And when I hear a student or an actor doing something that I know is damaging to them, I can mimic it because I have, you know, a talent for mimicry. And it's like, I can, I can do what it is they're doing. And then I say, Oh, okay, I get what you're doing. Yeah. And if you do this and do this, 
and open and relax the jaw, whatever, I know what it is they're doing that's causing them trouble and I can give them pretty quick fixes. All right. It's it's almost like you're reading my screen because my next question was going to be what, in your experience, what is the most common issue that you have found when you are training people? What is kind of the most common issue with the voice, the common mistake or the thing you're, you're constantly trying to fix? Well, there's, there's two things and, and they both rank equally high. The first is breath, breathing in the right place. And if you've never sung or had debate or had a drama class, you probably don't understand that breath is voice. And if you don't have enough breath moving past those vocal folds, you are not going to have enough voice. And so that's the first problem that when I help people breathe at thought shifts or breathe at punctuation for actors, um, it makes a huge difference in their accessibility to their emotional life, to to, uh, forceful sound that communicates and to using the voice without fatigue. The other thing that I find that I fight all the time is small mouth, tight jaw, tight tongue. And because we're very casual in our speech, Americans particularly, and and we don't open our mouths much and we get used to that sound kind of socially and and comfortably. And so when, when we want to project or we want to speak well, then everything is locked down because that's the way we're accustomed to using it. So helping and encouraging people to make space in their mouths as they speak Breathing and making space are the two biggest things. And if you can make those two adjustments, you will be able to, to speak and present and act better. Yeah. It drives me nuts. Uh, my oldest daughter does the, and I know I'm monotone and we all are guilty of mumbling and when we're just kind of tired or whatever, but Uh my oldest daughter is constantly day. Can you do And I'm like, what? Speak like just <laughs> use your mouth, and and it's and 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 again, looking at my screen, uh, good segue. It it goes along to me, and I don't think this is a a, a COVID related thing in regards to being on screen and not being used to talking person to person, but I think it, it I you can attribute it a little bit with now we talk so much on video even with FaceTime, even before COVID happened, mm-hmm. you know, that it, the almost, almost to our detriment, the microphones are too good and the sound quality is too good that we are able to kind of relax a little too much. Um, so, so that leads me to, again, the next question. And it, and if you segue into the f- next question, then I really do think I, I might accidentally be screen sharing because that would be pretty crazy. <laughs> but uh, have you seen a difference with kind of how people use their voice now that video is so common? And again, not necessarily just because of, uh, of COVID and being stuck on Zoom and, and such and teams and things like that, but just over the last even five, six, seven years with FaceTime becoming almost the only way some people get on the phone. Right. Uh, is there is there sort of a a change and adjustment that that you have had to make because of that over the past few years? 
Well, absolutely. And I think the trend has been happening for quite a while. And there are several reasons. Um, Aesthetically, we as a culture prefer screen acting to stage acting because we see it more. And with screen acting, you know, you've got the camera right in your face and you've got the microphone in your face and you don't have to do very much to get to uh, the camera. And it's like, do less, do less, do less. And so people come to presenting in public or presenting on Zoom and they're just way too relaxed and way too comfortable, settled back in their energy, thinking that that's going to do it. Um, I teach... uh, level up your Zoom charisma and encourage people to sit up straight to make sure they know where their head is in the uh, in the screen and lean in and act like you're listening and open your mouth more than you normally would. Uh, and that's how you stay connected to the other people on the call. Uh, and So whether you're the presenter or just attending, you have a responsibility to put your energy out there, to put your language out there, to put your attention out there so that we don't become a society of of just passive whatever kind of people. If you understand me, fine. If you don't, fine. Um, And I've noticed that happening uh, because of our aesthetic change toward realism. The other thing is texting you know we text a lot so we don't we're not forced to use our voice and when we are as you say we've got the camera um so social changes the way we communicate have changed the the aesthetic that we want when we go to the theater has changed so for all those reasons people are not using their voices as effectively as we once did right Okay, good. You didn't segue into the next question. Perfect. Oh, good. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad. Okay, so I'm going to switch off of a voice a little bit right now. I'm going to come back to it towards the end, but uh, I, you mentioned that you went back to school to kind of hone your directing uh, chops pretty much, and that's kind of what I'm doing now too. At, at, once this drops, I will have already been back, but I'll be going back to commerce, to A&M Commerce, uh, to get another master's degree. I don't know why I like punishment so much, but, but this time <laughs> this, I want to focus on, uh, directing because I, I never really was trained as a director. Uh, Bob Singleton, who was my high school teacher trained me from his, from his training. He trained me again in vocal work, which is why I used to always tell when I worked for the Houston Astros, I would always tell the, these large tour groups when I would lead tours of 50 to 60 even more sometimes, I would always say, I will always be louder than you, no matter how much hustle and bustle there is in this group, I will always be louder. And I attribute that to Bob Singleton's less act training and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, yeah. but, um, anyway, that off of that, uh, the directing thing, what is kind of your, do you have a directing style? Do you have a favorite show? I know that's two different questions. Uh, do you, or not a favorite show, but a favorite type of show that you like to direct that you that might grab your attention before another script uh, speak on that yeah um i am a very very organized director i plan i research i create a very detailed prompt script um 
But when I work with actors, I'm very collaborative. I'm very playful. I'm very fun. And my focus as a director is to draw the work out of them that is organic for them, uh, using what they bring and amplifying and clarifying that. Um, I'm a good diagnostician from a point of view, I can tell when something is working and when it's not. And I know why it's working. And then I can give them a succinct, either exercise or a bit of direction that pops them into the place they need to be in order to make that moment work. And moments work when they're grounded in personal truth and action is directed at the other. Theater works when that's happening. When it's not happening, the play stops working. Um, I focus on clarity of storytelling because of my voice background. The voices and the words have to be strong and clear. Need has to be personal and it has to be in the body, personalizing of given circumstances. Uh, and being imaginative in how you help actors get out of their heads and into their bodies. Actors want to stay in their heads, but the magic happens when the actor is connected to the body, connected to the breath. Now, what kind of plays am I drawn to? I'm drawn to really difficult, language-based, high-concept plays. In other words, impossible plays. And, uh, and, 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 and I love to do that. I love to take on a challenge of something that moves me that I feel is significant. And that's, that's the key for me wanting to do it. It has to be a message that I want to share and a story that I want to tell. And usually it's larger casts, language-based, very physical, very high concept. And other people say it's impossible. I'm like, I'm going to do it. That's you. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, I, I love this conversation so far because, and I'm not going to, we haven't once, once mentioned one act play really. Uh, and, and that's good. So I want to keep focusing outside of that world. Uh, you, you mentioned that you, you are kind of, um, you like to have fun during the rehearsal process. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, uh, again, I'm, I'm a similar breed in that regard. One of the struggles I have that is one of the reasons I want to kind of go back to being taught rather than teaching uh, is I want to find where that balance of a fun rehearsal turns into, okay, guys, now we need, you know, either either you're getting close to opening night or, you know, it's a serious scene or whatever it might be, but where do you kind of, or, or how do you balance your sort of light natured fun element of the rehearsal with, okay, guys, let's, let's get a little serious. Where do you kind of draw that line? Um, well, it is a delicate balance. And, and there are times when I fall over, you know, I, we're having so much fun that I realize we've devolved into chaos and I'll say time out, time out. Um, we need to rein it back in. Uh, and so I freely and openly and unashamedly have that conversation, Right. Um, because we have to have the fun to open up our creative channels. We cannot be creative when we're frightened. And, uh, and so it's, I don't mind that occasionally we get 
too crazy or too silly. And then you just rein it in. You recognize when it's happened. I always take the blame. You know, um, yeah. it's like I started it, you guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. But now we need to really focus on this moment. And so generally that that pulls us back. If we get too crazy, I'll do a big old timeout and really have the talk. Yeah. Yeah. The mom voice. Yeah. <laughs> right. And have the talk. Uh, and usually that does it if there's a problem. Yeah. Okay, good. Do you, uh, well, I'll, again, I'll give some background on this and not to keep mentioning Bob Singleton, but uh, we had a, we had at HSPVA during my time there, we would always say words, literally just say the word words, words. when uh, we were either directing or stage management or anything. And we wanted the actor to either project, enunciate, there was something with their presentation that we wanted them to adjust but we also didn't want to interrupt the flow of the rehearsal we mm -hmm. didn't want them to go back we wanted them to keep going but to understand hey right now you're either mumbling through or mm -hmm. it could even be your back is to us or something to that effect that is affecting how we hear you do you have anything like that or have you ever experienced something like that. Um, I, I love the word words. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, yeah, the last thing I say is project or be louder. Okay. Because that leads to shouting and and not connecting to and losing connection with need and to the other. So um, I encourage them to breathe the space. Right. Right. Um, or use your mouth. Um, listen, you know, if you, if you're focusing on listening, using your mouth, using your words, language, sometimes I'll say language, yeah. um, and just to bring attention to it. Um, I may have an exercise, a warm up exercise called darts as words. And I will ask each of them to to get something that is a shield, yep. you know, like this becomes a shield. <laughs> and when I'm talking, I am going to be using my words as darts and you have to defend yourself from my darts. Right. And, and that's how we get language invigorated into the body. Lots of things like that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot in a little bit because you, you just kind of jumped ahead to what I wanted to do. I was going to make you give me a quick lesson uh, based on what you've experienced in the last almost 30 minutes with me talking into a microphone uh, for free. But, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I'll send you $5 on Zelle or something, but uh, I was going to make you <laughs> give me give me something uh, online, but don't go there yet. You can let your brain okay. kind of think about that uh, right. while I keep talking. But uh, I, I want some, some sort of fun get-to-know-you arena questions. Um, what is it that you do when you're bored? Um, I watch Facebook. Okay. I check Facebook is my first go-to thing when I'm bored. Um, I love television. I love yoga. Yeah. Uh, so I will, you know, drop and do 50 or whatever, you know. Um, so I love exercise. I love Facebook. I love television. I love walking. Yeah. What, what do you watch? Oh, my gosh. I love um, addictable Netflix. <laughs> You know, like Yellowstone, I was so addicted to Yellowstone, I watched it through twice. Wow. 
Um, I was in London several weeks ago and caught COVID. And so I'm in this tiny hotel room in London sick. And I watched on Netflix, all of Downton Abbey, all six seasons, um, nine shows a season. (laughs) And it, it, I, I turned, you know, lemons into lemonade. I watched yeah. all of Downton Abbey. So that's the way I like to watch TV, get addicted to a really good series and then watch the hell out of it until I get bored. <laughs> that's great. What did you, what did, before Netflix, because uh, I'm not going to age you, but I know that you are at least my age. So I, you know, I'm 40, but anyway, uh, what did you watch when you were younger? What was it? Because my, my, um, sort of uh, guilty pleasure when I was younger and and it's been said I even have a shirt was Golden Girls I just loved watching <laughs> <laughs> I don't it was funny and it was racy for the time too uh-huh, uh, yeah you know, I, I was real big with the TGIF that that ABC kind of you know Family Matters and Full House but Golden Girls was kind of my guilty pleasure back in the day uh what was it back in the 80s and 90s that was oh gosh I'm trying to think um in the 80s and the 90s, I was doing theater all so, the time. Yeah, yeah. And so I missed out on a lot of, of TV. I remember when I was in high school, I loved, um, uh, and now I can't even think, Captain Kirk. Oh, um, Star Trek? Star, Star Trek. Trek. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking Star Wars, and I knew that was yeah. wrong. Star Trek, I was, a, I was a Trekkie back in the early, early days. Yeah. Um, and I liked detective shows and clearly I loved variety shows, yeah. you know, cause I would watch people sing and dance and I loved that. Um, I don't know, MASH, yeah. Cheers. Um, those were some of the early sitcoms that, that I remember when I slowed down a little bit, but truly there yeah. were several decades where I was doing theater. You know how it is from, September until May yeah. in the school year, yeah. always in a show. And then you do the summer show. Yeah. No, I couldn't get enough of it. <laughs> my, my mom, Brent Spiner is from Houston and went to my, the, my mom's high school and they went on a date. And so I constantly think about, well, I wouldn't be here, but how much different my mom's life would have been if she had gone on to date data Brent Spiner from uh, Star Trek. Anyway, that's right. a, again another <laughs> different <laughs> different topic. So, when you were uh, teaching high school, was there something that, uh, or excuse me, when you were teaching college, was there something um, that you realized in college that you were teaching, or something about the students that you wish you could have gone back to your high school kids and said? Hey, be let's focus on this or be careful of this or anything like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I was teaching high school with uh, an undergraduate degree in theater. Um, and of course you only had one semester of directing. Uh, so I didn't know much. Uh, I pretended that I did, you know, I had the personality to say, this is what we're doing. Um, I didn't understand about objectives and actions and using verbs. Um, I didn't understand how to draw genuine emotion without being harmful to the emotional makeup of the, of the actor. 
And so I avoided it completely. I avoided emotional truth because I didn't know how to help the students deal with it. Uh, so I learned that. Um, I just deepened everything that I thought I knew about the theater. Uh, and of course, then the history of contemporary acting styles, I didn't know anything about. And that was exciting to learn about the craft and how it has developed and where it is now in its development. I find that pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you were doing high school theater, were you, where, I don't even, were you in Oklahoma? Where were you teaching high school? Um, partially in Oklahoma. Okay. I started in Tucson teaching okay. high school theater. And then when we moved, um, I taught in Tulsa okay. and uh, taught at a number of schools and, and ended up building a program at Jenks High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and I just, I loved everything about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I loved dealing with the parents and organizing booster clubs. And I loved traveling with the students, taking them to New York to see shows. Um, I loved competing. I loved going to the tournaments on the weekends, yeah. you know, yeah. and, uh, there wasn't anything about it that I didn't like. Right. Is there something you miss about Tucson? Tucson. Oh my God. I miss it every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, in, in, I don't know. I say that you spend the first half of your life trying to get away from home yeah. and the second yeah. half of your life trying to get back on. <laughs> yeah. uh, the mountains in Tucson are, are, is my favorite place in the world. Um, I would love to go back, uh, you know, kind of be a, a snowbird and get a place and stay there in the winters, come back to Oklahoma. Well, Oklahoma is not much better in the not summer, in the summer. No. is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Because except it's not as high in temperature, but certainly high humidity. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Uh, Tucson is one of my favorite places I've ever been. It's, it's, uh, it's one, of, it's, I don't know if a lot of people know about Tucson. So, and maybe that's for the better, um, but it's it is a a gorgeous part of our country, and especially gorgeous. certain types of times of the year. Well, when you grow up with that, when that's the first place you love, that becomes the yeah. thing that yeah. you love. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I love leafy, I love forests, but the desert turns me on. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it is gorgeous. So uh, good for that. So I. I, I want to uh, I want to get you out of out of here on a lesson. So I I don't want you to give anything away for free. I want it to be simple and basic. It can be like you know my my first. I don't teach theater one anymore, but when I was teaching theater one and we go into the sort of basic vocal unit, my very first thing that I would always do when we talked about vocal warm ups was ABCs and the stretching the mouth and all that kind of stuff and the facial muscles and stuff. Uh, partially because everybody could face me and they didn't look at each other and they right. could, they, so they weren't worried about how do I look when I look across the room and see my buddy or something. So what is something super basic maybe that you think can help me, uh, we're just, it's just you and me listening to this right now, uh, that, that would, and I'm not going to be offended by anything you say, but, uh, <laughs> that, that you think would help me be a better uh, uh, speaker on into a microphone and on Zoom that you've experienced over the last now almost 40 minutes. Okay. Well, you mentioned yourself early on yeah. that, that you tend to be monotone. Yeah. 
And it's a, it's kind of an American thing to use <laughs> only a couple of notes of our pitch range, and usually it's low. Yeah. Well, that what that does, if we do that consistently, is our vocal folds forget how to make pitch change. Okay. Right? Um, vocal folds make pitch change. When we go higher pitch, the vocal folds stretch and vibrate on a thin edge. When we speak lower, the vocal folds get thicker and vibrate on a th- loosely on a thicker edge. And so we have to trick our vocal folds into learning to do that. Okay. Right? They become kind of atrophied. And so if you're working on a speech and you want to get more natural inflection, you can do an exercise called one to 10, shoot for the middle. Okay. Just one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. And then you just go into whatever it is you're going to say, and you will automatically have more expressive inflection. Okay. So am I start high on one? Uh-huh. The okay. the high is the odd, uh, odd numbers okay. and the, the lower are even. And just Am I am I getting unnaturally high or am I going High-ish. High-ish. So like one, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. You know, because I could do higher and lower, you know, one, two, that doesn't help me. That's, that's hurting. (laughs) One, two, three, four. Um, Do you have a sonnet or a monologue that you use at the ready? I do not. No, I have, I mean, I have a, Ava, why are you doing that kind of thing? Because I'm a dad to two daughters. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, let me see. I, I. I, I don't remember what I did a sonnet, a few sonnets when I was in high school. And I think it was sonnet 114, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be wrong. Uh, remember the yeah, first line? Yeah. Or whether doth my mind being crowned with you. Yeah. Okay. I just looked it up, but it is sonnet 114 because I do remember this. Okay. 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 So you're reading a sonnet there, yep, right? I've got it up. Um, Okay, so just read the first four lines. Okay. Just read the first four lines. Or whether doth my mind, being crowned with you, drink up the monarch's plague, this flattery? Or whether shall I say mine eyes said true, and that your love taught it this alchemy? All right, now I, I do... I kind of dipped there. Uh. Yeah, that's all right. So uh, we, you were just saying it, yeah. just naturally yeah. saying it. So now we're going to do the one to ten... Yeah. And then just immediately go into the speech. Don't think about inflection. Just see what happens as a result of the exercise. Okay. One. Okay. Okay. Well, let me try a little higher. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Or whether doth my mind, being crowned with you, drink up the monarch's plague, this flattery. Or whether shall I say mine eyes saith true, and that your love taught it with this alchemy. Yeah. yeah. I, do, I do feel it. Yeah, you do yeah. feel it. <laughs> yeah. It just happens. We're, you know, you can't, we know that an audience gains half of its understanding of language from the tune, from yeah. the inflection. Huh. So we have to give them authentic inflection so that they can follow our thought. If we start manipulating inflection, then we become inauthentic and phony. It's like, I'm going to use more ups and downs in my voice. And that's stupid. But if I just remind the vocal folds what it is they're supposed to do, 
Then they go, oh, yes, we remember. It's much more fun when we do this. And they spring into action and give you authentic inflection. My new-